today we're talking to David. Hi, David. Hi. Yes, uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, we're going to explore a topic called linear algebra. Uh, and I, I'm not a sci uh, data scientist by any stride of a measure, but um, I hope you can help me uh, to understand all of this stuff. So uh, how about we start just talking about who's David? So I'm... Um I'm a mathematician. I will. Uh, I like to describe myself as a mathematician um, mm -hmm. because I study two masters actually in mathematics, mm -hmm. and I try to use um, all the tools that mathematics offers into the banking industry and finance industry. And mm -hmm. obviously, this comes from understanding statistics, understanding problems, trying to abstract, simplify process, uh, trying to be as transparent as possible in how we manage people's money and mm -hmm. to manage their risk. And mm -hmm. we go from, it's, it's a broad spectrum of tasks that I have to do. It comes mm -hmm. from understanding uh, research papers on investments to um, deploying web apps to make sure that we, uh, we check the data and also that we check the signals that comes from our investment process. Uh, and in all of this, I believe, as you said, so you're more like an applied mathematician or this is really like a term or not? Or Yes, I'm an applied mathematician in a sense that I try to understand how the world works and try mm -hmm. to use mathematical tools to solve problems that we see on mm -hmm. the world. Whereas the theoretical mathematicians is mostly interested into uh, ideas and structures that they observe in nature, but they try to remove themselves from this limit and they they speak about uh, abstractions and, and they mm -hmm. add layers of abstractions to check if they can understand the structures of their ideas better. It's a really interesting field, uh, I have to be honest, but I'm, I'm not smart enough to get into this world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you start to learn anything about, you know, data science, AI, one of the, the first topics is the linear algebra that you just need to understand sort of the basics. And for that, we also have some kind of libraries uh, that we use. Yes, uh, but, but even first, I would go with the premise, right? It's really the question, do you need, do you really need to understand linear algebra? It depends on where, where uh, the problems you're solving. I, I kind of contend this opinion that you need to completely understand linear algebra to do data science. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Because I think understanding the problem and speaking with people and making sure you're solving the right problem and making sure you have the right data uh, making sure you mm -hmm. don't have any biases in your analysis is probably even more important than understanding the the the, the, the numbers, how you compute these numbers in terms of mm -hmm. effectiveness, right? In terms of getting out to the uh, to the world. Uh, obviously, it's mm -hmm. different if you're specialized into a high performance computing, and there you probably need to understand um, the, the really the the operations part, this low level part. But if you start with data science, my my intuition and my word of advice is really mm -hmm. to to have an, um, some introduction to statistics, and there mm -hmm. you could think of linear algebra as a black box, right? Just like take a function and put it out there. Mm -hmm. um, it's mm -hmm. it's a bit different in terms of uh, real world engineering, like uh, making bridges and uh, modeling uh, like fluids. There you need mm -hmm. hypersense computing, but. Uh, I, mm -hmm. But I recontent this first step. 
So why should anyone use linear algebra? So there are multiple fields where and domains where you can use linear algebra, right? And the first to come to mind, obviously, is machine learning because recently we had so many applications thanks to machine learning, things like mm-hmm. uh, computer vision, uh, natural language processing, and speech recognition, and even um, mm-hmm. reinforcement learning. And most of them use what we call deep learning models, which more or less rely on the fact that we can make really fast matrix multiplications or really fast plus minus scaling operations. Um, obviously, they include some structure, but if you need to understand more or less how it works, it's, it's a good first approximation. Um, second field is obviously statistics. We use linear algebra as a vocabulary for describing our models and mm-hmm. use them in like high dimensions um, because high dimensions is not so used in uh, everyday worlds. Um, then mm-hmm. we also have simulations uh, when we do what we call um, simulations of Markov chains, which is more or less you make a evolution of a process and you impose some structure into the dynamics of the process. Think of it like epidemiology. Mm-hmm. How does a virus evolve in a system where you have some structure? And by sol- and mm-hmm. to solve this kind of equation, you need linear algebra, um, mostly because mm-hmm. we are solving what we call differential equations, and their linear algebra is the central part mm-hmm. of it, at least in terms of vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And also when we do graph theory or networks, um, gra- networks in small scales can be represented as a matrix, uh, and, um, and using linear algebra, we can actually uh, speed up the computations for solving uh, crash traversals problems, for example. Um, another mm-hmm. point where I'm less uh, knowledgeable is engineering. Uh, for example, when you have to model how a, a boat is going to evolve on some lake or uh, some um, conditions with fluids, and this is really, really an important part of applications. Okay, well, um, how about we go the path that you mentioned? Let's treat uh, the linear algebra as a black box. Um, so what's normally, uh, what's the workflow? The first step is to define, is to f- try to find which operations are going to be repeated and which part of your problems is going to be fixed and which part of your problem is going to be dynamic or n- not okay. totally over your problem, but more about the functions uh, in your function call, which one is going to be always fixed and the other uh, a bit flexible. Um, and, mm-hmm. the, and the simple example, for example, is when you, when, uh, whenever you have um, a cart of, uh, of goods and you need to compute the price mm-hmm. of your cart, for example. Right. So what is probably always constant in your operations are the uh, price of the, um, the price of your goods probably is kind of like always constant. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. the, um, the, uh, the amount of the quantity of each goods is probably dynamic. So the first step is mm-hmm. to kind of impose a certain structure on, on each uh, and to, to make sure that this part of the structures can be solved with multiplications and additions and, uh, and subtractions. Mm-hmm. There is a good uh, blog uh, post from uh, Dragan on, on this actual, actual example, so I would recommend to read it. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. Okay. Um, the second, so and the second step is to make sure that you don't have any uh, null values. That's one of the biggest problems. Null values are NAs, which are non-existent or nils, and you have to 
find a strategy to replace them in your metrics because um, types mm -hmm. the types probably has to be consistent. Um, mm -hmm. So this is some kind of data cleaning, if you yes, will. The and the, there, so mm -hmm. there's two parts. First is really to make sure that you, you get the problem right to use linear algebra and then to, to mm -hmm. clean the data a bit before doing all the operations. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I mean, the, I would, per, I would I usually personally just go with like simple uh, reduce and sums and loops at the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. Yeah. And then when I see that I start to have um, a bottleneck in terms of performance for my business, I start to go back and like check yeah. which, I start to benchmark or even just recode and check which parts is really about um, like math, real computation. And there you mm -hmm. start to think, okay, if I have a loop, um, probably can I vectorize the operation? And this is where you gain a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you normally benchmark, uh, are you just using closure core? I use a criterium.core. It's probably the standards mm -hmm. in our uh, bench in our community, right? Even all the closure code use uh, mm -hmm. yeah. criterium.core, and that's that's good enough. Mm -hmm. But in the end, I think it's very easy really to to use a linear algebra libraries to check for loops in your code. If you have a loop, that's probably where you can gain a lot from vectorization, like map or um, it's it yeah when you have a map or a reduce this right a, filter when you yes. use those functions that create intermediate exactly. collections exactly. in between that's probably mm -hmm. and even even more is when you see you have a manual loop right a real loop um, because you, you yeah you already know that you might start to have like high performance if you just like type hint uh, your loops and avoid using yeah, the the sequence collection. Once you when you mm -hmm. when you see that you're going to use this, that's where you can think, oh, but I could actually use a linear algebra library, and, and I might get like a huge gain. Normally, when you would use the linear algebra in every language, um, you would have some kind of implementation of this tool. Um, so I guess there is a bunch of them since Python is very popular in data science. There is a bunch of them in Python. Yes. So. Mm -hmm. At the, um, so the, the, these these operations have been studied since like I'd say uh, forty years at least, right? We we had uh, high performance implementations since the nineties, uh, mm -hmm. and probably even before, and we we've been using this same implementation, this low level operations since then, uh, and then you have wrappers around these libraries called Blast and Lapac, mm -hmm. and uh, in Python you have NumPy, in Clojure you have Neanderthal. In R, for example, mm -hmm. they're almost default. So, mm -hmm. yes, um, what is really important to learn for the applied part of linear algebra is probably these base libraries like BLAST and LAPAC to understand their vocabulary and mm -hmm. uh, how you can use them. Uh, what's the difference to uh, in terms of executing this on CPU versus CPU uh, or GPU? So, I would say that once you... So, it's a trade-off between having more computation power and having more, yeah, uh, and having a bit of a penalty to transfer data. So, mm -hmm. um, so the, the real question is: We now have a CPU and a GPU, and we know that GPU right. have many more cores to uh, to make these kind of integer or double operations, and there should be an advantage to use GPU. The question is: Why are we not doing this all the time? And the reason is mm -hmm. because 
the data transfer uh, between GPU and, and uh, CPU is actually a big penalty in terms of performance. And you mm -hmm. need to make this trade-off between, okay, you, the price that you will pay to just transfer the data between your CPU and GPU is worth uh, the gain uh, that you get to make all the computation on the GPU. Um, and, mm -hmm. and to go back a bit as, um, in terms of more practical level, um, I, mm -hmm. in, um, you, can, you can check first of all using Clojure Script. Um, there we can use everything from the JavaScript world, right? And one of these libraries is right. TensorFlow.js, which is an implementation of mm -hmm. a deep learning libraries into uh, JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And in this mm -hmm. library, they use multiple backends, and two of them is uh, GPU using WebJL, I think. And yeah. another one is to implement mm -hmm. everything using WASM, uh, WebAssembly. Mm -hmm. and, and there, it's, yeah. it's still like the CPU against GPU uh, question, but since you're mm -hmm. you are doing almost native code on the CPU, you get a, you get an incredible speed up, and depending on the size of your problem, it's much faster to use Wasm as to use WebJL. And so, mm -hmm. and so this is to answer the question between GPU and CPU is right. really the size of the problem in the end. So what's what's normally the size? Like what's the threshold? Usually you you need at least like ten thousand uh, the matrices should be uh, contain more than ten thousand elements, and you should do a lot of matrix mm -hmm. multiplications um, because uh, if you only mm -hmm. do um, plus minus and no matrix multiplication, which is more like transforming, um, you usually mm -hmm. don't gain a lot from linear algebra. So going to GPU might be a waste. I think Neanderthal is a GPU or CPU based. It's multiple backends. That's actually the mm -hmm. beauty of it. Mm -hmm. You uh, you have three backends. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think you have three backends. One is um, so CPU based, where we mm -hmm. use Intel MKL to speed up operations. Uh, the second mm -hmm. one is using NVIDIA Clojure uh, NVIDIA CUDA. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is uh, NVIDIA's implementation of these linear algebraized libraries on the GPU. And the last one is using OpenCL, which is kind of an open source version of, um, of uh, CUDA. And also it has mm -hmm. some advantages because it can also be used for uh, CPU, right? You can mix mm -hmm. the engines. Um, I see. Yes. And for like, of course, for NVIDIA CUDA, you would need like NVIDIA graphic card and yes, that's that's a problem. <laughs> that's a monopole they have. <laughs> right, and I guess currently they are really hard to get, especially the newest one. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. That being said, um, that being said, I think on Google Colab you can get um, you can get the enterprise grade uh, GPU for free, but then you have all these limitations where First, you will need to install Clojure and everything on the machine and be able to interact with it. Um, mm -hmm. There is also what there is also paper space if you know about it, where they offered some kind of cheap VMs where you can have a free GPU for uh, uh, I think three or six hours um, before they shut it down and then you have to restart. So that's that's a good actually deal if you want to just understand how it works. And, but to be completely mm -hmm. fair, any GP, any NVIDIA GPU um, since the uh, which is like five years old is able to run uh, all the CUDA 
CUDA code, right? So if you want to start uh, using uh, Neanderthal with the yeah. NVIDIA Pleasure mm -hmm. um, backend, it's a good thing to either invest in the small GPU. You don't have to buy like the, the 400 bucks mm -hmm. card, right? Just go on, on the either rent an AWS instance, uh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. instance, and you can even have a spot instance where you pay like 25 cents an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, and there you can already, or you can just start to experiment. There's no problem with this thing. You know, just SSH into mm -hmm. the machine and you're mm -hmm. good to go. Um, I've, I've done it with AWS and also do it with um, mm -hmm. Azure as well. Uh, it works per perfectly fine. And uh, that's also raised the question about infrastructure using these libraries. And we go into like DevOps operations like Docker. Um, usually it's a good idea, especially if you want to make interactions between Python mm -hmm. and Clojure. Um, but it, it's an important point, right? Uh, maybe we should do a small, um, sh we should do a small uh, post or blog about how we can actually, uh, how you can experiment mm -hmm. with these without, uh, you know, destroying your mm -hmm. pocket. Right. <laughs> I think it's it's um you need to be able to adapt you need to adapt your uh, tool set. For example, you I like to use Clojure, so I find it really hard to use only Clojure mm -hmm. libraries. But if you're in a business uh, environment where you know um, speed is speed is really uh, the the first criteria, you need to implement things. Mm -hmm. You might want to make some trade off and you know say okay. Uh, for example, for machine learning, it's much easier for everyone else from the community to mm -hmm. use Python for now, or in statistics, it's much easier to use mm -hmm. R. So we should be open to somehow um, be able to solve problems in different parts, uh, in different uh, environments. So one part should be solved using R and having an API to stick yeah. with R. Some, um, some other part should be used with Python, and we should mm -hmm. have an API. And I think... Uh, sometimes we can use Clojure to actually bind these systems using, uh, for example, uh, CLJ Python or um, the R libraries to from mm -hmm. uh, Daniel Slotsky. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's it's also worth you know completely separating them if you if you think you cannot mm -hmm. uh, convince everyone right. in your team to use yeah. Clojure. And, and it's mm -hmm. still fine. And so, what's what's the general standard for exchanging data in like in web? It would be JSON. It's the yes. same thing. So, it depends if you're if you're if you can speak with your uh, how you speak with your sure. machines, right? Um, I think you can stream data with um, if if the data is really about uh, arrays and matrices. I think you have the arrow mm -hmm. format. But I'm not sure how you can communicate them over mm -hmm. the wire, but probably you can. And uh, I think Clojure is snippy, right? Mm -hmm. Which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But otherwise, uh, yeah. I think I think you should. I, I think communication should you should not communicate too much of of a data. So probably your it doesn't matter that much in the process in terms of performance, or at least I hope. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, um, if if every process lives on the same machine, um, we can we can probably use anything. You I want. see. So you would have some kind of like, if I can call this backend, where you store all of the data, and then different programming languages just access this kind of backend, and yes. then slurp, yes. if you will, the data for a specific language. Right? Yes. Yes. Obviously, you pay a price in terms of performance, so we are not anymore in the high performance mm -hmm. area. But I think in terms of maintenance of your systems and uh, understand understand each part of it 
think it's easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a diff- you can you can have any exchange technology mm-hmm. you want. Obviously, as long as as, uh, as long as right, got it. So yeah, you pay the pr- the price for converting also this data back and forth, and sometimes the yes. price might be higher than actually processing the data. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But it's not only this. For for statistics, you, first of all, people often in the data, data science community we have this battle between R and Python, mm-hmm. right? I see. But as much as I don't like the R language and the R ecosystem, there are libraries that cannot be replaced easily uh, in Python. Mm-hmm. The reason is because the algorithm is extremely specific, and the and the goal of the language is completely different than mm-hmm. Python. Right. Uh, so it's it's you cannot re-exchange the two of them. They really have their specificities, mm-hmm. and you, you probably need to respect this. For example, when you need to do time series analysis, um, there are some libraries that just do not exist outside of R, or extreme value theory, for example, when you have to uh, try to model things that are not happening um, on mm-hmm. average. Um, the best libraries are in, in uh, R and R, <laughs> or when you need to have some, some specific modelization of how multiple um, multiple events are happening together, mm-hmm. um, the the Coppola the Coppola library in R is just has never been replaced. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's not even a question. The question is more: Do you should you use these tools? And if yes, then you need to know that the price of it in terms of a big system. Right. Because uh, you probably need to use R. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, uh, if you bring the things to high enough abstraction level, they sometimes feel very similar. And I feel like when we're having this conversation, I would say I'm pretty familiar with like web development and the whole stack. And of course, there are those moments like, yeah, closure is great, but there are certain moments where you need something that you just need to implement in a different language, whatever. Uh, because yes. I don't know the library doesn't exist or what have you, or you know in our case when we use Closure we use the interop with the host platform, so it's not like yes. you know you're just going all in and just trying to rewrite everything in Closure. We try to yes. leverage the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yes, and this is exactly this right. right, and that's why I said if if you can have the whole team on board with Closure, we can reuse uh, CIJ Python, mm-hmm. and we can also use uh, uh, Closure. Which is the interface with yeah. R, and and I love it, and that's why I think that um, the next step would be like interrupt with a C. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will be extreme. Right. That's also a really great leverage for mm-hmm. pleasure. So your whole team is using Closure for all of the work that you're doing. Yes, we're four mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. As a team, um, I convinced them <laughs> to use Closure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mainly the first the first step is so I've been coding Closure since 2014 as yeah. a hobby. And in closure since uh, three years, yeah. I guess, as a professional. Well, I use it at work. I wouldn't say I'm professional closure developer. I just use it at work. And um, the speed at which we were delivering results, like, um, so at first it was small web apps, and then it came bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. And the speed at which we were delivering uh, the the results was tremendous. And then the management did, could not say otherwise. Right? I see. Um, it was just the leverage was just too much and really good. Yeah. So, was it so they, was it difficult to convince yeah. your coworkers about closure? Mm, at first, my manager and I had some. Um, so, so the the story about it is really just that we in uh, da, in the data science community 
anything that you want to touch web is using either Python Dash or uh, R Shiny. Mm -hmm. And my manager was extremely uh, um, had a really high attached to those requirements. I, okay. No, no, he, okay. he had, my big boss, the one who was paying me, has really high requirements about quality. Yeah. Um, you know, because he used to use all the application, the web app applications where, you know, things are really fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything is just like instantaneous for yeah. him. And when you use Shiny R and Python Dash, you, you, I, I had the experience that first I was not happy using this tool mm -hmm. um, because, you know, about this compile, uh, check the state mm -hmm. and uh, check the results uh, process. And I knew that it was in, it would be impossible to get the results he wanted uh, using just these two tools because the promise of these tools is really to you will not use CSS nor HTML. You don't need to learn mm -hmm. them to to achieve these results. But I knew it was it was a lie. Sometimes <laughs> you can get some results, but nowhere near what people ask, which is usually dynamic UI, um, also like maintaining state and speed. That was my experience. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay, so. I knew ClojureScript existed, but I had zero experience. Mm -hmm. So I told him, give me a blank card. And um, I, I solved the problem, but I need a blank card on the technology. So obviously I made uh, um, I made a big document stating why I would, the reasoning of the document, why I would use ClojureScript. Yeah. And I asked other teammates, so not my actual teammates, but other people who use also technology in the, the bigger team to uh, validate my reasoning mm -hmm. or to uh, discriminate, yeah. to say no. Yeah. And after that, I started to uh, to actually uh, watch uh, to study your code base <laughs> for doing web apps using a reframe, and I managed to make my first web app using Shadow CLGS and Ooh. with everything, all the goodies like module advanced compilation. Yeah. And since then, I could expand like Clojure Script, but then after after that into Clojure, yeah. and and my afterwards my manager, so my first manager in mine, yeah. um, he he wanted to use R Shiny, but I said okay, so we. I said no, but then we competed together. Mm -hmm. And after a few, a few weeks, he saw that the results by using Clojure Script and Clojure were just like too fast mm -hmm. uh, compared to R because because R tasks were not so specific to the language, right? Mm -hmm. It was really specific to um, to, to deliver, delivering products to yeah. uh, our clients. Mm -hmm. And then I, I got him on board. Uh, and then we expanded our team, so we got the other people on board. So we showed them, and they all loved it. So yeah, uh, so it's a it's a great it's a great story. Right. I'm I'm really, I'm really happy about this. Yeah. So actually, you started on the front end and went to the back end. Exactly. Yeah, so because I, I really because because we I really had tools right on the back end. I had Python, I had yeah, R right. for data science. So mm -hmm. and I could I could somehow code some small C plus plus um, libraries if needed, right? Mm -hmm. but, um, but yes, I, uh, professionally, I had to start with uh, Clojure Script because it's where I think it was easiest to show, like the advantage of Clojure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then, and then you know, like the the live reloading for example, it's impossible or almost impossible for the other uh, stacks. Yes. Right? So, so that that I showed it, it's like okay, yeah. you know, the speed at which you, you advance is like. Different. Yeah. Thank you, Thomas then, Heller, for Shadow Seal yes, yeah. yes. Thanks to him. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, a, I contribute on uh, his GitHub. Uh, I'm a GitHub sponsor for him. Cool. I really he's really helping everyone. Yeah. Um, but yes. So when you start there, and then you show the Clojure has a tremendous advantage for speed, and then you go on the back end where you show the same advantage, mm -hmm. um, and then that's the way we have to introduce Clojure to the to the work. Yeah. Right? Plus. 
it's JavaScript in the end and right. it's a jar in the end. So yeah. No. Right. And and with the rise of Docker as well, you know, like it's less and less relevant which language are you using. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more important to have a good documentation, um, good codes, um, good coding um, habits. Yeah. Uh, there, I, you know, this, is this is what I find really amazing about the community is like uh, you have a certain set of libraries uh, that are very well maintained uh, and the documentation is usually very great. And, you you know, we mentioned uh, Shadow CLJS, of course, and there's those couple. And I guess for the size of community, the quality of the open source work is really amazing. Uh, yes. So. I, I find amazing reframe for his ball and also uh, yep. full crow. Yep. Um, I never use full crow to be honest, but uh, yeah, maybe one day. Maybe, since now I can do backend, frontend, closure. Maybe one day we'll switch to uh, full crow. But uh, right, yeah, yeah. I think full crow is very interesting, but it has very high learning curve. You know, there's a lot of concepts uh, mm-hmm. starting with you know. So you transform everything with EQL, uh, right? So yes. the language uh, that Patom understands on the backend and mm-hmm. on the frontend full crow. So yeah, I think it's. Uh, I had a discussion with Tony K. There's like five episodes uh, where we dive into all of this stuff. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Focus are very interesting. Yes. Yeah. But th- this is also the point of using Clojure because when you're when you're a mathematician or a statistician, mm-hmm. data scientist, and you get into into the business world, all the concepts of Clojure are mostly, uh, you know, they're non-existent for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, you only have like one process. Um, most of the time, you you don't have to care about um, mutability or, or yeah. immutability, right? There's almost never a state. Mm-hmm. Um, so asynchronous code doesn't exist most of the time. Mm-hmm. So so I find Clojure extremely helping for this. Is they show you you had problems you didn't know you had, mm-hmm. and so uh, it's great. I, I learned asynchronous code thanks to Clojure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and cool. also, but um, yeah, so really, really cool, really, really nice story, actually. I, uh, yeah, I'm glad we went to this this direction and talk about this. Uh, so cool, yeah, it's really cool, man. Yeah, thanks. Uh, but I mean, I have to thank you. Uh, without without your Condui Condui uh, app, <laughs> but I've never managed. You know, like as much as I like, as much as I like reframe, uh, documentation is exceptional. It's really, really exceptional. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you don't have a if you don't have an example, then uh, it's really right. hard. Yeah, this is what I find also very often. The documentation is very good, but somehow it's hard to stitch together uh, the yes. examples. Uh, they are just uh, those small islands, if I would call them, that have mm-hmm. like example for a specific problem. But very seldom you can find like the whole thing implemented mm-hmm. and like shown and like how do you really do this? And I think that's the whole premise of all the work that I'm sort of doing around the community. You know, just. Yes. And and also you you have to find the trade off between the complexity of your problems. You know you say isolated islands, mm-hmm. but you also you also should care about it should not be too complex as the first example. Yeah, um, yeah, mm-hmm. correct. Yeah, and then yeah. and I think I probably will uh, check about uh, your data script, <laughs> uh, your yeah your data log. Um, right, pro- the atomic course. Yeah, yeah atomic course. I think yeah, yeah. it was really hard for me to get into it. I, I couldn't, I, you know. That you you can know the syntax and everything, but then after afterward after that you want to use DataScript or uh, some other um, yes. graph based technology on the yeah. on the browser, mm. and then and then it's it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, right. 
<laughs> so here's the thing. This is one thing uh, that I found out when I, and I think this is very along your lines. When I talked to Chris Nuremberger, uh, we talked about uh, the data set, but there is a JavaScript implementation of this library that I wasn't aware of. Yes. Uh, do you know this? TMDJ, yes. Yes. Right. I, I didn't. And I was like, okay, this, this sounds very interesting. And like, I, I guess interacting with Chris, I know it will be pretty, well, snappy, if you will. So, yeah. Yes. That, but then still, after that, it still depends on your problem, right? Because he's, right. he's doing, um, he's doing data visualizations using time series and, um, and, um, it has pictures, it has images where TMD, TMDJS makes sense. Mm-hmm. I see. Um, uh, you see, you, you still need to find, so you still need to impose the structure of your input data, right? In a sense, right. it has to be a data frame. Mm-hmm. And my experience uh, communicating, communicating with multiple backends is people not always have tables, right? It's usually mm-hmm. it could be a nested, usually sometimes a nested tree as a data shape. Mm-hmm. So so that, that was my uh, difficulty using TMD, TMDJS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Yes. Uh, um, and so uh, we we'll talk about the front end a bit. I'm I'm really interested on. So what do you do use on the back end? Um, so nothing crazy. We use a pedestal and uh, rate it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's probably most of it. That's so nice. we use also Mali for um, specs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we use a mix between specs and Mali mm-hmm. uh, because I still hope specs two comes fast enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. I see. Um, and. Okay, and yeah. then you communicate via Eden between or? So mostly JSON because we still want to be open with um, so mm-hmm. other, languages. other languages, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Makes then sense. this I hope will change because I was mostly on the front end. But once I once I have my hands on the back end, I think I will use transit <laughs> <Of course, laughs> for <yes>. everything. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, yes. Very cool. Well, um, would there be anything else you would like to share? On linear algebra, not not specifically, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's a broad, so it's a broad topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the next step after that, my presentation, you should probably speak. You should probably learn about uh, numerical linear algebra, which mm-hmm. is simply how you use num- uh, linear algebra to solve problems like uh, differential equations or mm-hmm. uh, solving solving them, solving mm-hmm. just linear equations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the next step. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time and chatting about this. I think it's a very interesting story uh, that you came up or that you actually created uh, in your organization. Yeah, and I have to thank you and the the whole community for it. Um, The community is so open and so nice. Every time you go on Slack, you speak with people and they're Mm -hmm. they're really open and trying to help. Um, You know, all communities of pleasure, right? The machine learning one and... uh, and also the web development. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really a joy to, to, uh, to be in this community and Sounds work great. with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can just um, echo that, you know. Mm. Uh, all right. Well, thanks again for taking the time. And um, I will catch you somewhere. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Jacek. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating it on your platform and telling others about it. You can also support it directly by buying subscription at closure.stream or sponsoring it on GitHub sponsors. All the details in the show notes below.